So, I got my notes. <clears throat> but, I got my Bible full of yellow post-its too. So, um, I hope you've had speed training in Bible passages because I like to go to the Bible. That way I don't have to use so many of my words because the Bible's words are much more faithful and true than, than uh, you know, I believe that, that God blesses me with the Holy Spirit to speak words of truth when I come to prepare a message like this. But it's his word that's got the power. So I like, I like being in his word. So God gave me a title for this message today pretty quickly as we're coming into the Easter season. Sorry, it's going to take me a little while to figure out where this mic goes. As we're coming into the Easter season, um, it was pretty easy to get a title. So the title of my message today is Jesus, the Lamb of God. Okay, that was the easy part. I sat down and started studying and started thinking on what that meant and looking up verses and doing things. And lo and behold, I had an outline put together fairly quickly. And that was pretty easy, too. But then, then the tough part comes. God, what does this all mean? God, what do you want to speak to your people? What, uh, I mean, I can go through the Bible verses. I can read scripture. I can... I can uh, talk about what the scripture has to say and what it means. But Lord, what are you really trying to say to your people in, with this message? That to me is always the get down on your hands and knees and dig and pray and, and really, and it didn't come till last night and this morning, <laughs> but I got it. I think I got it. So we will be looking at scripture and, and, um, we're going to be looking at Jesus as the sacrificial lamb of God and, and what are all the implications of that, or not all of them, but a lot of them. And um, where did it come from? Where did it start? And and really, that was kind of a the tough part uh, for me because we're going to see in Scripture, it starts in the Old Testament, it continues all the way through, the all the way it ends at the end of the book of Revelation. We see the lamb as a sacrificial animal that um, that it's it's consistent throughout the word of god and jesus as that lamb is something that the new testament reveals very early on and and continues again as a theme but it wasn't until i got to revelation that i really understood the total impact and, and revelation of, of what God was, was wanting to talk about today. And I have a verse down here, Leviticus. So we're going to kind of start in the Old Testament. We'll get to Revelation, I promise you. But we're going to start in the Old Testament. And I love the Old Testament because, uh, I, I don't know, one Sunday, Carrie asked me why I like teaching Genesis and uh, my answer was, you know, until you know the beginning, you can't possibly know how things are going to end. And God wants to reveal these things to us. And he's revealed so much to us in the book of Genesis. But that's Wednesday night. So the one of the, one of the main verses that, um, that were not so much talk about, but it kind of forms the basis for all that we're going to talk about 
And its Old Testament is found in the book of Leviticus, chapter 17, verse 11. Not sure if I can read this from way back here. Uh, Let's see. It says, uh, this is talking about Old Testament sacrifices. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. Okay, so we start off right away with a big word, atonement. Well, I've got to give you my definition. There's lots of them available. But the definition I like is atonement requires a sacrifice to pay for something and to make you clean. So we see that uh, the atonement as it's preached in the Bible really comes down to the sacrifice of Christ, the blood that he shed to pay for our sins. But way back in Leviticus, it says, the life of the creature is in the blood, and I have given it that blood is a sacrifice. It is an atonement for you. So we see the blood being an important part of this lamb that is sacrificed throughout throughout the Old and New Testaments. Well, it starts way back at Adam and Eve, way back in Genesis 3.21. You don't have to go there. But we see after Adam and Eve have sinned in the garden, it says God makes them a covering out of animal skins. So immediately we see, it doesn't say that they were sheep, doesn't say they were lambs in this case, but he had to kill an animal it required the shedding of blood to provide a covering for Adam and Eve. So as far back as the garden, we see the shedding of blood required to provide a covering for us. And in the very next chapter, we read the story of Cain and Abel, chapter four, verses one, or yeah, verses one through five. Um, no, we don't need to read that. But it says that. Cain was, yeah, I better read it. I'm going to screw it up if I don't read it. It says that, now, I'm just going to read one through five. Now, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. And we know what that led to. And um, we study that in Genesis on Wednesday night, so I'm not going to go through that whole story of Cain and Abel, other than to say that we see even at Cain and Abel that they were raising flocks of sheep, and that sheep was a suitable offering um, and was a sacrifice. So back at Cain and Abel. Now I do want to read you a story out of Genesis, Genesis 22, the story of Abraham and Isaac. 
Because uh, I love this story. It tells us so much of God's heart and of God's plans for mankind. And starting at verse 1, it says, Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. You ever feel like you're being tested? We do, we do get tested at times to see what our faith is made out of. And God said to him, Abraham calls to him. And Abraham said, sorry, this is still, a, no, it is, Abra, it is Abraham. Yep, 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 it is Abraham. I get Abram and Abraham mixed up sometimes. And Abraham said to him, here I am. Then the Lord said, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and on one of the mountains, offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Abraham doesn't argue with God at this point. Abraham has been walking with God now for a long time, and he's learned through lessons and through some other tests that God is faithful. So the, the, the gist of the story is that Abraham, by faith, believes that both he and Isaac will walk down off of that mountain. And uh, we see that that truly does come to pass. But Abraham doesn't quibble, he doesn't argue, he doesn't waste time. Verse 3, So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Now this is an aside, but this Mount Moriah that Abraham is going to is believed also to be the location of the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. So it's all happening right there, guys. Sandy and Cal can tell you. It's all happening right there. Um, Verse 6, So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took the... Yep. And he took the knife, a son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And Abraham says, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? So again, we see the lamb is, an expect, is the expected sacrifice. And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went on together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. And the angel of the Lord said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. I love that language because it is exactly what we read in the New Testament of Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, whom he loved, 
And we see that Abraham, with that same language, was willing by faith to offer up his son as well. Verse 13, Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by the horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. Well, okay, so that's a... So ram, lamb, this is not exactly the same thing. So what was Abraham talking about before when he says, God will provide a lamb? Well, I believe Abraham truly was a prophet of God. And I believe that up on that mountain, God showed him a vision of the Lamb of God that would be sacrificed there on Mount Moriah, outside the gate of Jerusalem, many, many years hence. And that vision was of Jesus, the Lamb of God. So we see God's demand for sacrifice and that the lamb was the acceptable sacrifice or a ram in this case well in in most cases but the ram was provided not the lamb the lamb would come later a couple more examples out of the old testament we look in exodus to the time of the passover and we studied this in a previous wednesday night class when we were looking at uh, the festivals of God for the Jewish people and for all people. We looked at the Passover. And uh, the story of the Passover, which is actually coincident with Easter this year, um, is the story of the Jews being led out of Egypt by God, by Moses, um, after they had cried out to him because of the uh, the brutal treatment they were receiving at the hands of Pharaoh. And God, inst- well, so we, so we know the story of Moses, we know the ten plagues, we know that the tenth plague was to be the death of the firstborn of all of Egypt. And the only way that, that the Hebrew people were to be spared was to take the blood of a lamb and not paint, it says, strike the doorpost, strike the doorpost. Strike the lintel. Make essentially a cross on your door, and I will know that you shall be passed over. And that is this great story of Passover. The sacrifice of the lamb provided the blood covering for the Jewish people as they were in their homes in the land of Goshen. And the death angel passed over those houses and struck only the Egyptians in that tenth plague. So the Passover lamb, and the lamb was eaten that night as they, with fear and trembling, as they waited in their houses to see what God was going to do. Um, another place, so, so, and of course the rest of the story is God led them out of Egypt. He led them back to the promised land. Um, Moses is in the wilderness with the, with the Hebrew people. And God calls to Moses, calls him up on the mountain, and gives him instructions in all kinds of things that will need, are needful for the Jewish people to be following. And one of those things was the order of sacrifices. He describes the tent of meeting that Moses is, erects in the wilderness, the first tabernacle, um, 
It talks about all the furniture that goes into the temple. And, but specifically, it calls out the sacrificial system that needs to be put in place in the tabernacle of God, tabernacle of Moses in the wilderness. And it says in um, Exodus 29 and 38, I better read it. I won't get it right unless I read it. Now this is what you shall offer on the altar. Two lambs of the first year, day by day, continually. One lamb you shall offer in the morning, and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. Okay? So that was part of the sacrificial system that God sent up as a covering to make atonement for the sins of the nation and of the people. And there were other sacrifices as well that... that Leviticus, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, all call out. We're not going there. Just want to keep you thinking. A lamb was required to be sacrificed. And in the temp, the tabernacle and into the temple, there was a sacrifice of a lamb. One in the morning, one in the night, every day of the week, until the temple was destroyed in 70 A.D., that's a lot of lambs. But it's a system that God had instituted and that God required as a covering for his people Israel. So that system, which was started in the tabernacle of Moses, that Moses built in the wilderness, it, it continued through the first temple in Jerusalem, through the second temple in Jerusalem. And as I said, all the way until the temple was destroyed in 70 A.D. Okay, so we're finally to the New Testament. And we're going to look at John, Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 29 or thereabouts. Sorry, it takes me a while. These are really little numbers. (laughs) And, um, yeah, John chapter 1, verse 29, um, talking about the ministry of John the Baptist and his interaction with Jesus. And it says, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Okay? Now, can you imagine what the disciples were thinking they knew what lambs were for. They knew about, I mean, these are Jewish men, right? They know about the sacrificial system in the temple. A lamb in the morning and a lamb in the evening. Why is John calling Jesus the Lamb of God? I'm sure that made them sit back on their heels a little bit and think, what did that mean? And uh, there's, we, the Bible doesn't really record any of that discussion, but I'm sure there was a lot of thought processes going on in the minds of the disciples. Now we do see Jesus celebrating the Passover. 
And it's, uh, and of course, the, the Passover meal that Jesus celebrates with his disciples is where he institutes this, the Lord's Supper. Now, I'm going to go to Matthew 26, verse 17. Now, on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying to him, Where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. Now, the Bible doesn't go into any great detail about what it took to prepare the Passover. So I went to one of the resources that I use fairly often. It's a gentleman by the name of Alfred Edersheim. He was a Jewish man and a, a, a Jewish historian that wrote in the um, early 1900s, late 1800s. And he wrote some volumes of books. One of them was about the temple and its service. Of course, the temple was no longer in existence, but he extracted information from other historical documents and things. And so on the day of Passover, he describes the temple service thusly. He says, the nightly sacrifice of the lamb was offered first, and this was probably about 2, 2.30 in the afternoon. And then he says the um, temple priests all line up in the courtyard and the people come to the temple with their lambs for the Passover. And it says they are led in in groups of three because there would have been a horde of people waiting to get in. I mean, Jerusalem was no small city at this time, at the time of Jesus. So more than likely, Peter and John had gone into the city and with money from the purse that they got from Judas, would have purchased a lamb for them for themselves for the Passover meal. They would have gotten into the crowd waiting outside the temple. And in one of the orders of the three, they would have gone in with their lamb. It would have been, they would have used the knife to slay the animal. The blood, the priests were there to collect the blood to put upon the altar for God, of God. And then they would have had to take, and, and the priest's skin, they, they do all the things you got to do to an animal to prepare it. They clean it up. And then Peter and John would have picked it up, and they would have gone back to the upper room to prepare for the feast. So again, it's it, the disciples were intimately aware with what, a lamb was, and what it, what the requirements were at the time of Passover. And so again, I'm sure they're thinking, what did John mean about the lamb of God? God, Jesus has been ex trying to explain to them, but they're not quite getting it. So, and then finally, we get all the way to Revelation. Now, I'm only going to talk about a very few things in Revelation because the Lamb of God is, is all over the book of Revelation. But I do want to read to you from chapter 5 because um, I, I, I love this chapter. It's, uh, it's such a, I don't know, it, it's a great chapter. So Revelation chapter 5. 
And I, this is, of course, this is John speaking as he's in the heavenly courts in a vision. And then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp, and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. Out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, to receive power and riches and wisdom, and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the twenty-four elders fell down and worshipped him who lives forever and ever. So it's just an exciting picture to me of of course, the lamb they're talking about is Jesus who was slain and has received honor and glory and power at the right hand of God the Father and is worthy. Well, and of course, the seven seals that he's talking about are, some, are the judgments that are going to come on the earth during the time of, of tribulation. But worthy, worthy is the lamb. A um, couple other verses in Revelation. We're just going to read short short. Just short verses. Revelation 12.10. And this is describing Satan getting thrown out of heaven. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren, who accused them before our God day and night, has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. So we see again that the blood of the Lamb is powerful to the casting down of the accusations to the point of defeating the enemy himself. And then we come to the verse that 
kind of really changed the way I was thinking about this. Because to this point, I'm going, okay, we're seeing all this Old Testament uh, teaching and training about the lamb as a sacrifice, a sacrificial animal. So was that like, okay, is that kind of showing us what Christ is going to be, what Jesus is going to be as the sacrificial lamb of God? But I got to this verse, Revelation 13.8. All who dwell on the earth. Now this is, um, this is talking about Antichrist in the beginning part of this verse. So don't get this confused. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, the Antichrist, whose names have not been written in the book of, the, book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And it's like, bing, you get those light bulb moments? Okay? The Old Testament was not teaching us about the Lamb slain at the time of when Christ died. Because it says right there, the lamb slain from the foundation of the earth. The plan of God saw, that's why Abraham could see a lamb slain. That's why all of the things that we read in the Old Testament are all a picture. They're types and shadows of Jesus, the lamb of God, slain from the foundations of the earth. God had this plan. Back before, he had to provide skin coverings for Adam and Eve of Jesus, the Lamb of God, that takes away the sin of the world. So, it's not the Old Testament. The Old Testament does lead and teaches, but it's because God envisioned it. God saw it. God knew it. God planned it. Before he ever even created the earth, he had this plan in place that he knew that Jesus would be willing to take upon himself the form of man and go to that cross and die as the lamb, sacrificial lamb of God. His blood becoming the atonement, the sacrifice needed not just to cover our sins, but to take our sins as far as the east is from the west. So finally, I do want to read to you from the book of Hebrews because that's finally what I found that finally made this all make sense to me. And um, if you want to follow along in Hebrews, we're going to be in chapter 10. And I'm going to read some verses because they made a lot of sense to me. Um, Hebrews 10, verse 1. For the law, law, of course, was everything that Moses brought to the Jewish people having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never, with these same sacrifices, which the priests offer continually year after year, make those who come to the temple, make those who approach perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered. So what the writer of Hebrews is saying, you know, if... if all of those sacrifices, one in the morning, one in the evening, for thousands of years, if they had been sufficient to make the people clean before God, wouldn't they have stopped doing it? But they couldn't because they were only a type and a shadow. They were not what was fully necessary. 
But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Okay? It takes more than bulls and goats. Then I'm going to go on from verse 11. And every priest, now of course this, a lot of people believe that Paul wrote the book of Hebrews, that's not 100%, but it was written at the time when sacrifice, at the time when sacrifices were still being made in the temple. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, speaking of Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God, from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Okay? So Jesus' sacrifice was not like the sacrifices in the temple. The offering of the Lamb of God, the holy and perfect Lamb of God was completely different. It was done once, and it abolished forever the condemnation of sin upon all of mankind, at least for those who will come to him and accept him and receive him in faith. Okay, I'm going to finish chapter 10, because there's more good stuff here. Starting at verse 19. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of son, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. And I tell you, brethren, today we do see the day approaching. <laughs> the day is coming when we will see Jesus on the clouds once again. Um, so the writer of Hebrews basically expresses the thought that we've been studying in Genesis on Wednesday night that it says, uh, and Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. So Abraham's faith produced righteousness. Today, we do not have sacrifices. The Jews do not have a temple in which they can sacrifice. They really don't know, except those who have come to their Messiah, they really don't know where they stand with God. They don't, they, they, they have good works. Some of them wave a chicken and cut its head off. They just really don't know. But we, and they, if they would, when the Lord opens their eyes, know that we by faith in what Jesus accomplished on the cross and in the heavenly temple 
and now seated on the right hand of God the Father, is our high priest forever. He, his sacrifice as the Lamb of God was sufficient for all of us to be able to come before God in faith. We are freed from offering sacrifices daily for the sins that we have committed or just for the sin nature that is within us. We're totally freed from that because of what Jesus has done. By faith in Jesus and his sacrificial offering of his own blood, once for all, he has saved us, he sanctifies us, he heals us, he has brought full forgiveness of sin, and he cleans us. It says, washed in the pure water. He has cleaned us and made us whole and worthy to be presented before his Father as uh, one of his own. So, I hope that this message of the Lamb of God will inspire you as we come fully into this Easter season to look more deeply uh, just as the disciples had to when John called Jesus the Lamb of God. What did that mean? But to look more deeply and by faith take on the sacrifice that Jesus has made, the full atonement that Jesus has provided for each and every one of us who receive him by faith and accept him as Lord of their lives. Um, it's going to be an exciting Easter season. Uh, God is good. He's working in the world today. And as I said, I think the day draws ever closer when we shall see him returning in the clouds. So thanks for your attention. May God bless you this day. Pastor Gary.